Hello, Minister Victoria here. I hope your day is going well. God is good and I am so grateful for another opportunity to speak to you. Thank you for the feedback regarding my love series. My goal was to increase your admiration and appreciation for our Lord and adorable Savior, Jesus, for he loved us to death. All of us have been impacted directly or indirectly by this dreadful COVID-19 virus. Hundreds and thousands of lives have been lost. My heart breaks thinking of the many loved ones lost to the deadly virus. The CDC, the Center for Disease Control and Protection, is a national public health institute in the United States. It's a federal agency under the Department of Health and Human Services headquartered in Atlanta, Georgia. As the nation's health protection agency, the CDC saves lives and protects people from health, safety, and security threats. There was a need for a vaccine, uh, and there are now three recommended by the CDC, Moderna, Pfizer, and Johnson & Johnson, or J&J. Today, I am happy to report that there seems to be light at the end of that dark, deadly tunnel and that light is no longer an oncoming train. Why did I share that? Well, in my prayer time, the Lord reminded me of a deadly disease causing the death of thrill of trillions. Even the brightest of minds couldn't create a vaccine for that deadly disease. And that disease was sin. That disease and its repelling vaccine was also from the CDC, but this CDC is an acronym for Christ's death on the cross, CDC. Many have struggled with the question, why was I born? What is my purpose? The purpose-driven life, what on earth am I here? Was authored by Pastor Rick Warren, and it is a New York Times bestseller with more than 35 million copies sold, and it's available in 70 translations. Well, what may not be in that book is because of the dire need for a victorious vaccine, Jesus, the beloved begotten son, was the first to have a purpose-driven life. Today is the first installment of my new CDC series. And today's installment is called Christ Destined for the Cross, whereby, whereby I'm going to attempt to explain how this destiny unfolded. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, the Bible declares, And God said, Let us make man in our image and likeness, and let them have dominion. Ah, and so it was evident that God intended to impress the mind of man with a sense of something extraordinary in the formation of his body and soul when he introduces the account of his creation. Our image in our image and in our likeness and what is there refers to his soul. This was made in the image and likeness of God. The image and likeness must necessarily be intellectual, his mind, his soul, 
formed after the nature and perfection of his God. The human mind is still endowed with most extraordinary capacities. God was now producing a spirit and a spirit too formed after perfections of his own nature. God is the fountain whence this spirit issued. Hence, the stream must resemble the spring which produced it. God is holy, just, wise, good, perfect. So must the soul be that sprang from him. There could be in it nothing impure, unjust, ignorant, evil, low, base, mean, or vile. It was created after the image of God. In that image, uh, St. Paul tells us, consisted in righteousness, true holiness, and knowledge. This text tells us that he was the work of Elohim. The divine plurality marked here with this more marked here more distinctly by the pure pronoun, let us make man an hour. And to show that he was the masterpiece of God's creation. All the persons in the Godhead are represented as united in counsel and effort to produce this astonishing creature, and they were to have dominion. Hence, we see that the dominion was not the image. God created man capable of governing the world, and when fitted for the office, he fixed him in it. We see God's tender care and parental solitude for the comfort and well-being of, uh, of this masterpiece of his workmanship in creating the world Previously to the creation of man, he prepared everything for man's subsistence, convenience, and pleasure before he brought him into it. So that comparing little with great things, the house was built, furnished, and amply stored by the time the destined tenant was ready to occupy it. The first man, Adam, was placed into a garden already finished. Uh, every tree pleasant with God's good stamp of approval. He was given dominion and put in charge of the finished work. Uh, not to work, uh, but just to guard and cultivate the finished work indeed experiencing paradise on earth. And there Adam uh, and his God communed daily. They were cool like that. Uh, then God declared, it is not good for this man to be alone. So God created a helpmeet for Adam, a woman, a wombed man. The Bible says that the two were naked and not ashamed. Uh, but now the plot thickens. As the Bible says, this woman engaged in conversation with a sneaky, subtle serpent, ate and ate of the forbidden fruit. Ah, but our demise, the fall of mankind, was due to the fact that she gave it to our federal head, Adam, and he ate also. Ah, doing so was blatant disobedience to the word given to him by God. And let me correct that to the command given to him by God. Immediately, the two who initially were naked and not ashamed knew they were naked without the glory of God. And they tried covering their nakedness with fig leaves and hid themselves. 
this disobedience came with others in the D family. Deficiency, degradation, depression, despondency, disappointment, and even disease. Uh, accordingly, this time when God arrived, he had, he had to ask the question, the great question and first question of the Bible, Adam, where art thou? Now, this question is connected schematically with another great question that occurs at the beginning of the New Testament, where it is stated that the wise men came saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? Uh, thus, the Old Testament begins with God seeking man, and in the New Testament, it begins with man seeking God. Man's condition was utterly without hope, but God still loved him despite his sin and would set in motion the train of events that would eventually lead to his redemption, provided only that man would consent to be redeemed and comply with the conditions under which God would bring about it. Hallelujah. Uh, it's kind of like God set a plan in motion. Hallelujah. Uh, uh, because he said, uh, Adam, in spite of your disobedience, I don't want to love nobody but you. I don't want to love nobody but you. I don't want to love nobody, love nobody but you. Uh, but I got to figure out how I can do that. Hallelujah. Because right now you out of order. Hallelujah. So here we hear Genesis 3 and 15, uh, which is really the great, uh, the great gospel message, the one, the, the first one, uh, uh, because it speaks of the coming Messiah, this destined what I'm talking about today in my first uh, installment of the CDC series. And it reads as follows. And I, and God says, uh, because he asked Adam, well, Adam, what, where, what happened? Did you eat of the tree? Uh, and Adam said, well, Lord, uh, let me tell you what happened. Uh, the woman that you gave me, she, she, she gave it to me. Uh, and I did eat. And then when he asked the woman, he said, well, well, what in the world happened? She said, the serpent beguiled me and I did eat. Hallelujah. And so now here God says, okay, hallelujah. I will fix this thing right here. It's wonderful because the problem and the promise are all in the same chapter. It don't take my God long to do anything. Hallelujah. So Genesis 3, 15 says, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And here he's talking to that subtle, sneaky serpent. Hallelujah. Enmity between thee and the woman, between whom there had been so much familiarity. Ah, y'all were getting along in that first conversation. Ah, but not only while they had the preceding discourse together, the devil made choice of it as his instrument to deceive her. But not how being beguiled hereby, she conceived an anthropy against it, and which is become na natural between the serpent and man. Man abhors the sight of a serpent, and the serpent the sight of man. And the spittle of a man and the gall of a serpent are poison to each other. And this anthropy is observed to be stronger in the female sex. And this was not only true of this particular serpent that deceived Eve and of this particular woman, Eve, deceived by him, but of 
every serpent and of every woman in successive ages. And it is also true of Satan and the church of God in all ages, between whom there is an implacable and an irreconcilable hatred and a perpetual war. Hallelujah. And the Bible says that the, the, and between thy seed and her seed, uh, in the posterity of Eve, mankind and the production of serpents, between whom the empathy and still continues, and especially by the seed of the woman, may be meant the Messiah. The word seed sometimes signifying a, a single person, and particularly Christ. And you can look that up in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. And he may with great propriety be so called because he was made of a woman and not begotten by man, and who assume not a human person, but a human nature, which is called the holy thing, the seed of Abraham, as here, the seed of the woman. As well, it expresses the truth of his incarnation and the reality of his being man, who, as he had been hated by Satan and his angels and by wicked men, so he was opposed himself to all them that hate and persecute his people. Uh, and this seed shall bruise thy head. Hallelujah. The head of the serpent creeping on the ground is easily crushed and bruised, uh, which is to sensible and therefore it is careful to hide and cover. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Well, I got a lot of stuff here. Let me see. Um, let me see if I want to, where do I want to go? Okay. And thou shalt bruise his heel. And so here we're talking about Calvary. We're talking about Calvary, even right here. And thou shalt bruise his heel. Now we know when you say a, a head wound is a fatal wound. Uh, so thou shalt bruise his head. Uh, and on Calvary's cross, uh, Jesus's heel would be bruised. The heel of a man being what the serpent can most easily come at or to some, or to some slight trouble he could receive from him in the days of his flesh by his temptations in the garden and agony with him in the garden, or rather by the heel of Christ is meant his human nature, which is his inferior and lowest nature, and who was in it frequently exposed to the insults, temptations, and persecutions of Satan, and was at last brought to a painful and a cursed death, though by dying he got an entire victory over him. Hallelujah. And all his enemies and obtained salvation for his people. Oh my God, Christ was destined for the cross. The enemy used a woman to break communion with God and God used a woman to restore communion with him. Why? Why? Because the Bible says that he made him uh, to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Uh, but how would he do that? Well, the Bible lets us to know in Isaiah chapter 7, Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. Uh, John 3, 16, that very familiar uh, portion of scripture. For God so loved the world, hallelujah to God, such a love as that which was in, which induced God to give his only begotten son to die for the world uh, hallelujah, could not be described. Uh, Jesus Christ doesn't even attempt to describe that kind of love. He left a subject for everlasting contemplation, wonder, and praise to angels and to men. 
Ah, the same evangelist John made a similar mode of expression in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, where he declares, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. First, as I prepare to bring this to a close, the world was in a ruinous, condemned state and to perish everlastingly and was utterly without power to rescue itself from destruction. Secondly, that God, through the impulse of his eternal love, provided for its rescue and salvation by giving his son to die for it. Oh, yes, Christ was destined for the cross. Thirdly, that the sacrifice of Jesus was the only mean by which the redemption of man could be effected and that it absolutely was sufficient to accomplish this gracious design for it would have been more inconsistent with the wisdom of God to have appointed a sacrifice greater in itself or less in its merit than what the urgent necessities of the case required it. Fourthly, that sin must be an indescribable evil when it's required no less a sacrifice to make atonement for it that God manifested in the flesh. Fifthly, that no man is saved through um, through this sacrifice, but that he believes who credits what God has spoken concerning Christ, his sacrifice, the end for which it was offered and the way in which it is to be applied in order to become effectual. Oh yes, there was a need for a bomb in Gilead and Jesus was destined to be that one. As aforementioned, this is the first of a series of CBC messages. The messages will culminate with the final one on Easter Sunday morning. And I will end this installment in prayer. Father, we bless you. Uh, we bless you for your CDC. Hallelujah, God. Provision, God. You made a way for us. Uh, we needed a way and you made a way and we are grateful today. God, we thank you for every person that's hearing my voice right now. God, we pray that you do something super califragilistic, espialidocious in their life, oh God. Hallelujah to God. Help this thing to become so real for them. Oh my God, that they will forever give you the praise, the glory, and all the honor that you so rightfully deserve. Uh, we ask it all in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake. Amen. And thank God. Have a very blessed day. But God bless you. Bye-bye.